This is always the hardest time of year. I mean, we've got ATA show right around the corner, immediately followed by Neem, immediately followed by Vegas, and Lancaster's in there somewhere, and and we just got back from the holiday, and there's a ton to do. But we're going to do a podcast anyway. Yep. I'm George Tekmichov here with Steve the... Big Cat. Veltmeister Anderson. Yep. I'm not... I, I was the Veltmeister last year. I haven't done the dang thing in 2017. Well, you're still the reigning... Veltmeister. Yep. So I haven't done anything in 2017. Two more years of being the Veltmeister is things a year and a half to go at least, and then you get to defend potentially. Potentially. So we thought uh, we thought we'd throw together a podcast like we always throw together a podcast and talk about um, where we've been and where we're going. Yeah. 2016's over, and what a year it was. Now you know some folks are like, oh, yes. Please, thank you. 2016 is over. Yeah, that's a popular thing. I don't get it. I think people are bummed out by how many uh, prominent folks, uh, celebrities passed away during the year. Some folks are still butthurt about the election. Some folks are just, you know, 2016 wasn't what they wanted. But it was what a lot of archers worked hard for and, you know, made their mark in in 2016. Yeah. So, you know, just just to... uh, just to explore a couple of these things, you know. I, I got bad news for those who think 2017 is going to be better. I'm listening. It's just a number. It's just arbitrary. Well, it's attitude. It's all about attitude. I bet their attitude will change the first time they get knocked on their butt. Yeah, it's possible. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you in a moment, what is your highlight for the year? For me, the highlight for the year probably is Kim Woo-jin's 700 in the qualifying round at Rio. For me, you know, as a recurve guy. Mm-hmm. What about, besides your world championship title? That would take it for me. Oh, yep. Yeah, understandably so. Uh, any any other marks in the compound world that uh, stood out for you? Um, you know, for me personally, besides my own, I would say, you know, Linda winning Neem. Mm-hmm. That's um, just like winning the world championship as far as many people are concerned, including myself and yourself. Yep. Um, it's hard to believe Neem's say, right around the corner too. Once again, yeah, for real. I would say, uh, you know, Braden shooting the seven eighteen. Braden Galantine's seven eighteen. Yeah, which is almost alliterative. Alliterative. There was some some really crazy stuff shot this year. Mike know? Schluser had a seven seventeen. Yeah, before, he had a seven seventeen before Braden Galantine pulled out that seven eighteen. Yep. So, and I was there for both, which was cool. Very cool. Yeah, Braden's, I was actually, you know, he, he was target B, I was target A, so. So you get to watch. I was right no, there. you were standing there. Yeah, I, I uh, well, what a lot of people don't know is there was a close arrow, the second to last end, and there was, you know, I was calling arrows, and I said, it's too close, so. I'm going to call it out and make someone else call it in. I'm not going to be, you know, having anyone say, oh, Steve called an arrow in that might have been out, blah, blah, blah. So, sure enough, Judge called it in. Um, So, he's sitting at two down, so he's got to shoot a 60 to get the record, and he did it, and it was cool. And then Mm -hmm. I had one arrow left, and, you know, he high-fived me as he went off the line and actually stung the hand a little bit. He got a little excited on the high five, so (laughs) – I had to, I had to like take an extra thirty seconds, you know, and 
Get regain the feeling, feeling in, in my release hand, and, and then I cut one loose. So and, and where'd that one go? It was a 10. Well, of course. Shot a 7-11 that day. Brady Ellison's 598. <clears throat> That's memorable for a number of reasons. He shot an indoor 598 in basically outdoor conditions. Yeah. In Marrakech, uh, not too long ago. And, um, and I got to say, watching um, the match of that score by our friend from Korea was remarkable. Yeah. You know, it, at Lausanne in Switzerland. And it was his uh, first his time first, he'd ever shot. Yeah, his first ever indoor. First ever indoor. And, um, you know, what are you going to say, you know? Yeah. As you said it, as you pointed it out, you know, when Kuban Chan shot that arrow one millimeter out, he felt not too bad because he had that 30-pound gold medal he, yeah, he, still <laughs> hanging around his neck from Really, Rio. what's the, you know, the, the end game had been accomplished that year. You know, another memorable thing for me was uh, watching Brady pull out that bronze medal performance in Rio. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I was, uh, and and you got to go to your first Olympics. Yeah, I did. It was, I I, I think Japan will be nice. <laughs> no question. Um, but uh, you know, watching Brady shoot for bronze is it's like a heart wrenching thing, you know, because they, and and we talked about this. I'm pretty certain, but you know, he loses the semi, and I think he was the first semi, so he had a match in between, but. It's not like, you know, some other sports you get like, like for instance, in even in World Field Championships, um, you know, I shot semis, and it's like okay, in a day or two or whatever, I think I had a day gap before I had to shoot the gold medal final. Yeah, not at the Olympics. Like you shoot the semis and boom, right? You there. lose. Yeah, you turn around, you walk off the stage, and you come back on. Yeah, and so you can imagine the 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 how shall I put it the. Um the emotional roller coaster. Yeah, and shooting for bronze sucks. It's by far the worst. Shooting for gold, you've already, you've got something. You know, you've at worst your silver medal, which sucks too. But you know, you could shoot for bronze and and walk away literally with nothing. So at an event like that, you know, it's uh, a bronze. There's just as many bronze medalists as there are gold medalists. It's a rare club as well, but. No one is uh, keeping track of who has X number of fourth-place finishes. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Brady's the only guy to bring home an individual bronze for the United States ever. So The rest have been gold or silver, huh? That's right, yeah. So Only that, one silver medalist, Vic? There's been individual bronze medals. Uh, sorry, team bronze medals. Mm-hmm. Uh, team bronze from Sydney, for example. But yeah, Vic uh, took an individual silver. Rick McKinney, too. Rick McKinney. Oh, okay. Uh, has an individual silver from the uh, 84 Olympic Games when Daryl Pace defeated him. Daryl Pace, the only man to shoot and win two Olympic Games. So Right. You know, and, and there's been some other stuff in our sport during the year that I think is memorable from a couple of points of view, but nothing in my mind really compared to, you know, just for me personally, um, the drama of that Olympic final for uh, Kuban Chan and our good friend John Charles Veladon. Yeah, that was a that was a tremendous accomplishment for both of those gentlemen and and John Charles, French hero today, because yeah. of that silver medal. 
Yeah, that was – it was fun. You know, for me to watch an archery tournament is rare. Um, yeah, you're usually participating. Yeah, and, and I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm kind of cheering for uh, – I'm cheering more for the sport of archery. You know, I want, I want what's best for the sport. And in that case, a French win or a French medal was, was very good for the sport. Sure, absolutely. But, I, you know, talk about a worthy champion. Kuban Chan, what a great personality. Mm-hmm. And just a great guy all around. Um, if you got to look at somebody who, who just didn't get any breaks this year, it might be Chef. Chef. Yeah, fourth place at World Cup, yep. fourth place at Olympic Games. He was second at the World Cup. He lost to Brady. Ah, yeah. But, yeah, he yeah. didn't win. Yeah. But, you know, the fact is, Chef, uh, he's got the heart of a champion, and I think he's uh, – He's going to have a good year this upcoming year, I think. Yeah, as long as you know, as long as he still has that desire, um, I, I think he does. I think he could be one of the few who could go to their second Olympics and do well. Could be, could be. You know, there's uh, if you haven't listened before the you know we've talked about the likelihood of winning gold at your second Olympics is next to it's very difficult, impossible, very yeah. difficult. Only a couple of people have ever done it. Yep, but you know, chef. I think he put himself out there as a guy who uh, was a contender, and he lived up to it. Absolutely. He, uh, Chef was hanging out with me in J-Bars uh, in Lausanne uh, a couple weeks ago and you know, got to know him a little better. Um, I've, I've known him reasonably well, but you know, I think honestly, I think Chef's got a great season ahead of him. So yep. looking forward to seeing how, how, how that works out. Definitely. There's been um, just so many other things this year. You know, uh, Lisa Unruh. For example, winning the World Indoor Championship in Ankara back in February. And I remember saying to her, I'm going to see good things out of you in Rio. And sure enough, first ever Olympic medal in archery for Germany. Yeah. Silver medal. She's, uh, yeah, we've, we've talked a lot about her as well. She's, it, it was no surprise to me, really. No. I think it was maybe unexpected but not surprising if that makes sense well look at look at what happened i mean you know there's there's uh how shall i put this you had the best shooters contending for the medal at the time that they were contending for it in my mind i don't think there was any question about that right yep that that women's round in rio that went about as well as you can possibly expect from the standpoint of uh you know just the most deserving shooters were there Yep. And, you know, that was uh, that was great to see. At the same time, you know, we've, uh, closing out the year, we've seen uh, a good start for the World Indoor Cup season. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that develops with Neem coming up a couple of weeks from now. You're going to be shooting. Yep. And um, you're getting ready for Vegas and Lancaster as well, aren't you? Um, I would like to, but right now, right now, yeah, I'm just getting ready for ATA show. Yeah, ATA show is right around the corner. In fact, you're flying out a couple of days from now. For yeah, I fly out on Friday. Right, and uh, yep. I got off easy. I don't have to go out there till Monday. I think people think ATA is fun. No, no. I don't necessarily want to sit here and harangue the whole question of whether ATA is fun or not fun because I don't think that's fair to people who've never been to one and think it's something really cool to go to. If they had the opportunity, I'll bet a lot of shooters think that they would like to go. I would like to just go. Yes, I would like to attend just to the go ATA as a show. I would not. I do not like to have to, you know, operate and uh, run 
a booth at yeah. the ATA show. But what people don't realize, a lot of folks don't realize, is it's it's all business. The ATA show is all about business, and you know sometimes that's an unpleasant reality. You know, you don't get to you don't get to have too much fun <laughs> at an event like that. It's just too yeah. much work. Too much work going on. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. With that said, though, later on in the uh, later on in the podcast, we are actually gonna. We're going to put a commercial hat on and talk about a new product that we're going to introduce at the show. That's true, yep. So we're giving everybody a heads up about something that is going to come out at the show, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about that a little bit. Yeah, we've got some questions on the Facebook page as well. Got so. some good ones. You want to hit some of those up? Let's hit them up. Let's, um, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll choose Chuck's question for last. How's that? And that way we can... Yep. Okay, so uh, Kafir Bahar says... Um, you know, this it's one's interesting. It's interesting, and at the same time, it's it's like, huh? But it's interesting. Kafir's coach told him the air pressure inside an arrow shaft can change its spine. So he wants to know, can things like the temperature of the room in which the arrow is assembled or the temperature of the components being installed, or whether the point is inserted before or after the pin bushing, change the spine enough to affect the tune of the arrow, as both of those things would change the pressure inside the shaft. So the, the honest answer to this is uh, there's not anywhere near enough pressure change inside an arrow, even from, say, sea level to 2,000 meters to make any measurable or other difference in the performance of the arrow from the standpoint of its spine. Now, if you pump one up to 2,000 PSI, yeah, that could change things, but your knock would not stay in the arrow for very long. Yeah, I don't know how you'd actually do that. Well. You'd have to have like a pin adapter that's a, a an air completely sealed and, yeah. and, and a valve or something yeah it'd have to but, be a valve but as a practical matter no um the air pressure inside an arrow shaft cannot change its spine in breathable atmosphere how's that we'll put it that way but an interesting question nevertheless uh jeff jenkins has a quite specific question for you steve yep he asks uh with the older hoyt cam systems you always wanted a slight over rotation of the top cam uh, is that still true with the current cam systems, specifically the new X3 and SVX, or should the top and bottom cams be timed to be exactly in sync? Um, so a lot of people liked having, on the old like Spiral X, a lot of people liked to have the top cam a little ahead. Um, now, some of this has to do with how it feels coming through the hump, and some of this has to do with the width of the valley and the holding feel. Yeah, so... Me personally, I always liked them even, you know, the, basically what you're doing is if you get the top cam ahead, it's just grabbing the control cable and loading it up a bit before the bus cable gets there. So you're really, you're holding weight increases and the perception of the valley decreases. So you, it's kind of a little more aggressive. Some people like it that way. They felt like it, uh, helped create strong shots and eliminated highs and lows. Now I know just enough to be dangerous about this subject. And, and as far as I am aware, you can actually change the slope of the top of the curve, which is kind of a flat thing. You know, if you if you, mm-hmm. if you graph the curve, it has right. a flat section at the top Yep. and you can actually slope it to be a little more biased toward the front of the draw or the rear of the draw and actually adjust a little bit the feel and how it ramps up on the arrow, I think, is is part of the factor here. Um, that's more so to do with how you tweak string and cable lengths rather than cam timing. Gotcha. Because like the way I 
I've always thought it was interrelated. But. It, yeah, it's very minimal when it comes to this because this is a you know this is taking your curve and then doing a basically a twist in the bus cable to adjust timing. So your curve is kind of already established, but yeah, that is part of it. Um, so me personally, I always say you know the engineers are a lot smarter than me or most of you, and they put the stops where they need to be. Now, if you want to change the field, by all means, you can do that. There are people who have had success doing just the opposite thing and going top cam first or bottom cam first. So uh, just depending on what you want, you can go either direction. With the new SVX, it's very similar to the Spiral X with the top cam track rather than like a stop. So you might try it, but uh, me personally, I still prefer them even for the most part. Okay. So that hopefully answers the question for, uh, for Jeff Jenkins there. Thank you for that question, Jeff. Our friend Steve Yee has another industry question for us this week. Uh, with bow speeds going up ever so slightly, because it, it hasn't made any big jumps in a long time, do you two feel there will be a glass ceiling of maximum performance you can squeeze out of a bow before you can't get any more FPS? Uh, that's the first part of his question. Mm-hmm. I think we're already pretty much there, and I'll tell you why. I yep. mean, physics has its limits. You cannot pull a square four-straw curve. Right. You're not going to get the 380 foot per second, 60 pound bow. It's not going to happen. Yep. I think like the, there's a theoretical maximum on bow speed today. If it were perfectly zero hysteresis, zero drag, yep. you know, everything else, you might possibly get something in the 390s, but you couldn't it draw is. it. That's with a square curve. Yeah, would, you couldn't yeah. draw it. It would be sitting at full poundage right so from the start there would and be, drop into yeah. you know whatever it, it drops yeah. to it would go well in fact you'd we'd want to hold it at that full yeah it would go 70 back to yeah you'd have to keep it at 70 yeah. you have no let off essentially because you couldn't yeah. you couldn't dump it in you'd blow your shoulder out so fast shooting something like that it's not yeah and fun. the strings would break every shot well, essentially yeah. so yeah and then you know george mentioned hysteresis so for those of you who don't know that word that's basically like a loss of energy due to friction or heat so you know, if theoretical maximum is like 390 feet per second, let's just say that's the number. Uh, right now, there's not a cam system that gets over like 87% efficiency. So you're losing 13% of that immediately. In noise and in friction and in heat and in vibration and a bunch of other stuff. Right. And I think this is that number is based off of like a six inch brace height because, you know, if you do the math on 39, you take away 13%. It might be based off a of seven inch brace height. I don't remember, but. Yeah, someone's getting a, I think you're right. I think it's six. It's six or seven. Someone's getting, you know, 360 plus out of bows. But, um, you know, they're they're operating at a very efficient cam system. It's not fun to draw, but, you know, it is at 86, 87% efficiency. And it's most certainly not the kind of thing you're going to want to sit there and pound arrows with. It's, shooting that thing is going to be more like akin to shooting. Well, let's face it. You know what? I don't think there's any fun to be had in shooting a crossbow very much. I Yeah. You I, know? People who buy crossbows don't generally go out there and shoot for hours like people who buy vertical bows. Yeah, I think you sighted it in. Yeah. Yeah. And and something like what we just described, that's going to feel more like a shooting a crossbow than anything else because it's just going to be so just unpleasant. Right. So I, I, don't, I don't see speed going up uh, a lot. There's, I, I think there's ways, and I've presented some of these to the guys at Hoyt, there's ways maybe you could take some weight or uh, – friction off of the the cam to the string but you know would they be 
measurable? Would it actually do anything? I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see Yeah. what happens at the ATA show this upcoming week when some of the companies will be introducing some of their new products. Some of the big players, the Hoyts and the Matthews of the world, they've already introduced most of their stuff already. And you'll notice that those two brands in particular don't push the speed thing quite as much as some of the others out there. No. So, you know, they're going for shootability. They're going for feel. They're going for repeatability. They're going yeah. for longevity. They're going for reliability. All of those things are important. And even the, you know, the PSEs of the world, they're really backing off from the ultra fast bows. Oh, yeah. And PSE sells some good stable target bows, too. That yeah. Don't go for the blistering speeds. Right. You know? Yeah. You notice their target bows aren't, you know, yeah, they've 340 those, plus. They've dialed those back, yeah. But even then, like, they're, they're hunting bows. They're, they're going to a – they want a more – user-friendly bow yeah you know and which that's is what everybody wants yeah right? i mean honestly this is kind of getting in the weeds but as we talk about development of bows i think you'll see more along the line of aesthetics um and you know user-friendly features rather than uh performance as it relates to speed yeah i think things like fit and finish are going to continue to be yep. important to people i think things like the aesthetics of the bow like you just alluded to are going to continue to be important to people but i also think the feel is going to continue to super yeah. do, dominate the the criteria. Yep, feel, know. adjustability, you know, tunability. Yeah. yeah. So there's reliability there's some, too. Yeah. There's Which some stuff. There's yeah. some stuff that that could could happen, and you know, I pitch ideas when they come across my head, which is you know they're not very good ideas usually, but no, you no, know, you know, I, you know, know I've you had know. some ideas like the uh, the stabilizer mount on the new Hoyt Prevail. That sure. was one of mine, and thankfully the engineers made it better. But I will say that there's great value to people like you and people like Brian Gold, people like Zach, who are users and serious ones and good shooters. You know, mm -hmm. And I apply the same thing to the recurve side. You know, um, It's really important to have an open mind, but it's also super important to have that feedback from high-level users like you and you know, I think that's an advantage that Hoyt has. I, I'm sure that the, the Matthews people talk to guys like Braden. Yeah. And, and you know, um, now Levi Morgan, I guess, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm sure that that's – by the way, that silly season thing, we'll talk about that just a skosh. Uh, just, well, I mean, the other side of that is, you know, archers thinking that they're engineers, you know. There is that downside because there yeah. are some people out there that don't belong anywhere near a slide roll. Yeah, you I think mean, they have an opinion. Yes, and basic math escapes them. And there, there's I, I stay out of the way. I'll pitch an idea, and then it's yours to handle. Sure. And I trust they'll make it better. And, you know, you know generally, I mean, you've got a pretty good grasp of physics, and you've got a pretty good grasp of what is practical and stuff. But some folks come up with ideas that are like, I'm sorry, but that you've been watching too much Star Trek. Yeah, there's you that. Know. And then, yeah. And there's the other stuff, you know, where people – they, they want to find something that what I've found in archery is a lot of people, they don't know how to offer feedback. They only know how to offer up a complaint. So you give them something and they look for the negatives in it. They don't look for a way to improve it. They don't say, Hey, this is good way to go. Yeah. You know, there it's just, all, this is crap and I don't like it. It's not good feedback. Yeah. And, <laughs> and oftentimes, you know, they don't have good reasoning as to why, you know, we had a, I saw a shooter who, you know, said, ah, the bow does this, and it's the bow, 100% the bow. And you could see that it was 100% him. You know, and we had a guy say, okay, so if I put that in the Hooter shooter, it's going to do that. 
And the guy goes, well, no. He said, okay, so I guess maybe it's, you know, maybe it is you. I know a shooter that won a world championship with a pair of limbs that another shooter had rejected as being unshootable. Gotta love that, yeah. That's a recurve thing, you know. But um, you don't forget those things, you know. Yeah, I mean, all of my bows are usually, you know, blems or sure someone didn't want it. I mean, so. the paying customers get the good stuff, and yeah. those of us who are on staff and maybe are lucky enough to get handed a bow once in a while, we're more than happy to take a blem. <laughs> yeah, give me that blem. Let me, uh, let me finish up Steve's uh, question. Will oh, there yeah, be yeah. a limit of how stiff you can make an arrow to match that level of performance needed? Pretty much no limit there, Steve. We can make an arrow as stiff as you want. The question is, how much do you want to pay? <laughs> how shootable is it? And all that. But no, seriously, um, no, there's, there's no problem with... We can develop an arrow that is stiff enough for any foreseeable scenario. The problem is you're just not going to get the scenario you're talking about. You're not going to get that, you know, 390 foot per second bow. It's just not not in the future right now. Yeah, and there, I mean, you know, as you mentioned, the price. Yeah, we can make super stiff arrows, but the diameter might not be what you want because well, as you increase diameter, you increase stiffness. Everything's doable within reason, but mm-hmm. the question is how much are you willing to pay? Right. I, as, an, as the person responsible for target archery in this company, I have a personal philosophy. If it starts to damage the sport, if it makes the sport difficult and, and really unpleasant to get into for, for people who are at a certain level, I don't think it's, it's a healthy thing to introduce a product like a $900 dozen arrows. Right. I don't, I don't like yeah. that idea. Yeah, like could we make a, an X10 325 the same diameter as an X10 you know, 700? Well, actually, you could make it, say, half the diameter, right? right? But the price and, it would be astronomical. Yeah. Price and then there's and other issues. And, and blah, you know, blah, blah. we've mentioned all this in the last podcast. Yep. I don't want to belabor this, but the reality is, sure, we can make whatever you want, but not, you know, pick, pick high performance, cheap, and good. Pick two, two of those. Two of the three. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's the problem. Anyway. All right. Jonathan Ingram has a question. Um, and this is a good practical question. Um, and, you know, quite, quite honestly, I don't think a lot of people thought about this. And then Seth Niebaum has a follow-up to Jonathan's question on our Facebook. And that is, um, Jonathan's question is, when experimenting with different fletching types and configurations, is it possible to use fletching tape, like the Schaefer fletching tape, or Bonding makes some, and, you know, spin wing mm-hmm. tape, right? So you can reuse the fletchings for future testing since they can be damaged when removing if glued on, or do you need to use glue to guarantee adhesion? Well, Jonathan, the answer is yes, you can use tape to put the fletching on the shaft for testing purposes. And in fact, you can get away with it for, for quite some time. Uh, it's just that, you know, in heat and in other conditions, it doesn't hold up as well as actually gluing them on. Now, Seth is asking, tagging onto that question, for compound shooters, how important is vein feather selection and configuration for long-range accuracy when shooting field points, i.e., when Der Weltmeisterschaft builds a new arrow uh, does he test different vein profiles, lengths, configurations to determine what will produce the best groups for a given setup? So really, you got two philosophies, right, Steve? you got go with what's tried and true and, and don't mm-hmm. mess around too much because you got one variable at a time. Or try different stuff to work with different arrows. Which one do you prefer? Um, I've always used the same veins. <laughs> you know, for like, I, I think I've used two or three different veins for outdoor First one was Flex Fletch 187, which just seemed a little small um, and a pain in the butt to get to stick. I went to a Flex Fletch, I think it's called the 212. It's a little taller, 
obviously slightly longer. Uh, I really like that one, but again, hard to get it to stick. Uh, and then I started using either the, you know, the Easton Type Flight 200 or the AAE uh, two-inch shield vane. And that's what I've always used on an X10 for outdoors. So you're not one to mess around too much with configurations once you've got something that works. No, and if you look at if you look at all the top shooters, pretty much the vein there, there's two or three different veins, and they're all similar height, similar shape. You know, there's not a big difference. And you could say, oh, we should go out and test other stuff. You know, some guys did. They tried those very small or very short three inch veins, and um. You know, I'll just when when I was starting out, I looked at what guys like Jesse Broadwater and Dave Cousins were shooting, and you know, I assume they know, and I assume they've done the testing, and so I just used that, and then it's always worked well for me. I've never thought veins cost me anything, so I've never felt the need to switch out to something else, and frankly, I don't want to either. It occurred to me that looking at some of the French guys that have been on top of the game for a while yep. that were switching to those low profile, but really long veins. Yeah. Seems like some of them have gone back to more normal configurations. Yeah, exactly. And uh, PJ, for example. Yeah. Some of them didn't have great results with them. So no, I don't always test. And that's because I have enough people around me who I can rely on what they have to say about something. Uh, Sterling Schroeder is asking how often should you switch out cables, strings on a compound bow and how can you tell if they need to be? I've had two different bow techs look at my strings. One said they need to go. The other said they should be fine. Um, well, on a string, let's see. He also He's says mentioned it, cables. Yeah, he yeah. says if it helps, I'm shooting the factory strings that came with my bow, and I shot roughly 100 arrows a day for the first two months. Okay, so straight up, it depends on, on what brand of bow you've got because some of them have – Excellent factory strings. Some have junk. Okay, go ahead and name names. Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to throw us under the bus if we. <laughs> yeah the uh, the factory strings that are that the only ones I see that really haven't been great in the last couple of years um, are probably the Matthews. Everyone else has really stepped their game up, and Matthews is probably okay. I don't know. I don't think they serve their end loops, which really doesn't matter, but. Their center servings are never that great, and their end servings are often showing some gaps. So uh, it just depends on what you're using. But to answer your question, if you're shooting regularly, you can probably get a full – you know, if you're shooting five days a week and let's say 500 arrows a week, you could probably get a full indoor season – then switch, get a full outdoor season. That would be what I would do. Now, that's presuming proper maintenance. That's presuming no nicked or cut strands. Right. That's presuming you're waxing the thing regularly. Yeah. Yeah. You could you could honestly probably get a full year out of it. Uh, the type of bow and cam system you're, shoot, you're, you're using will also, you know, have an impact on that because of how they'll wear cables and And also and how well made the cams might be on a particular set of uh, bows. The pegs could be sharp and yeah. stuff can happen. So my... My thought process is I'm just going to change between indoor and outdoor. I, I think last year I shot indoor and outdoor with the same set, but you get a full year easily if you're shooting a lot. And uh, if it's of concern to you or, you know, they get super dirty or a lot of rain or whatever, then then change them more frequently. Okay, good one. Cam Ryan has a good question. He uh, wants to hear a little more about uh, your shot execution, Steve. Do you execute the same way with the same speed on the hinge for 3D, three spot, and field? 
Um, try to. 3D is different for me. I If I shoot 3D, I suffer when I go back to a target face. So I try to not shoot 3D too often. And if I'm going to a 3D shoot, I'm not going to practice before. I'll just try to figure it out when I get there and hope it works out. Um, just because, like I said, it, it creates issues with me having a hard time aiming at the center of the yellow. So uh, between you know, three spot or outdoor target and field. No, there's no differences. I mean, it's subconscious and that's what I try to do with 3d as well. But 3d is a completely different visual for me. So there's a lot going on. I can't say I'd honestly know how I'm executing on a 3d target, but you know, trying to find something to aim at or around or on or off of pick that and do my best to hold it and get it to fire. Honestly, I think I probably fire a little quicker on a 3D target. Since we've been on the subject of strings and stuff, I'm going to jump ahead to Tom Ashton's question. Any thoughts of using angel string for compounds, the whole no wax thing? Um, I'll address that briefly. I don't think I know of any compound shooters using angel majesty bus cables or strings. It could be wrong. Roger Hoyle did for a little while. Okay. It's the only one I know of, though. But I will tell you that angel makes the best absolute bar none uh, serving material for yep. compounds in particular. And I, I, I'm probably giving up a little bit of a trade secret here by mentioning that Hoyt uses angel serving on a particular part of the bus cable. Yep. So, Only on one section. It's super expensive super stuff. Super expensive. But yeah, yeah but, but it's so good that, <clears throat> that Hoyt uses it for that purpose. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's it for that. For recurve, great stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. It might, might build up fine and I just don't know how I, it, I think the reason I, I hesitate you know? to say it's the way to go is because so many of you guys are using a Vectran blend string yeah. that has no stretch at all. Yeah, and it's not Vectran, right? right. It's just 100% Dyneema of some Yeah, fashion. that's the thing. The, the Angel material is 100% Dyneema. There's no Vectran in it. I would venture to say, I mean, even Hoyt's using a Vectran blend string, now the BCYX, right? So, yep. I mean, I would venture to say no major compound company out there is doing something without some Vectran in it the, to, to creep-proof yeah, the string. probably correct, yep. Now, the angel, the resin on the angel material, the majesty material, that does help creep-proof it, but it cannot be, I cannot see it being as, you know, functional for a bus cable under that much load as uh, something with Vectran in it. Now, with that said, great stuff in a recurve. So, you know, um, let's see, jumping back to Chad Simpson's question, best arrow options for youth compound shooters. My 12 year old daughter's pulling around 35 pounds. I'm considering the light speed 3d 500 so she can grow into them. The arrow chart says to use an 1100 to 1200 spine. What are your thoughts? I would look at a carbon one that's more spined appropriately. Um, you know, light speed 3d 500 is not that light for a 35 pound bow. So versus a, you know, a carbon one, uh, you know, around, if you want to go stiff and let her grow into it, look at, you know, eight thirty spine, I think it is, or something in that neighborhood. Okay. That's a reasonable thing, but it, you know, let's say Chad doesn't want to spend that kind of money. I, you know, light speed 3d and the carbon mm-hmm. one are about the same price, but let's say you want to save some money and get her in the exact correct spine. Yeah. Um, and depending on her draw length, you could get her in an Apollo in that spine value of 1200, 1100. Mm-hmm. or you could get her into uh, a carbon one, or you could get her to inspire in that 
spine value or even an eastern vector if her draw length is short enough. Vectors are ready to shoot arrow, feather fletched, and very suitable for this kind of purpose. So uh, very inexpensive. Um, you know, we're talking like 20 bucks for four of them. So yeah. And if you want to do the 500, you, you certainly can. It'll work. It will. And out of a compound. You, yeah. I mean, 12 years old, I don't, I don't know what you know, level of competition. I've seen some 12 year olds that are six feet tall. So yeah, you can't tell, I can't tell what her draw length is from this, but yeah. Uh, and I don't know what, you know, what her level of competing is. If it's more recreational yeah. then you know, kind of like, okay, yeah, just let her shoot and have fun. And, uh, I'm pretty confident even with a very stiff arrow, it'll still group reasonably well out of a, a compound. Angela Keith wants to know what's the status of Easton full bores. Uh, they're in the catalog. Buy them all day long. Yep. Uh, let's see. We have a uh, we have a, one more here. It's uh, from Rohafzan Wan. Uh, he's mentioning that there's going to be a World Archery 3D Championship in France this year. He wants to know if you're if you're going to go. I, I'm sure that this is addressed yeah. to you. And um, who's most likely to represent the USA in the tournament? It's kind of hard to say at this time right now, but yeah. We kind of treat that as an open event, though, don't we? It's I mean, always every time it comes around, someone you Dave, know, like, like Dave, goes, and someone says, someone brings up, you know, oh, how you, you know, why is USA Archery deciding that, and we should send, you know, our top IBO and ASA guys, and it's like, well, they chose not to, you know, it's not that it's not that they didn't have the opportunity. In fact, generally, because Dave's the only guy who goes. You could take two others. You just got to email USA Archery and say, "Hey, I want to go." And they say, "Cool, pay your own way, and you know, give us eighty bucks for your jersey, and it's all yours." With so. all due respect to the participants in the three D championships, it's essentially a European three D for the most part, right? And sending Dave to shoot against European three D shooters is reminding me of the days when we had the American professional basketball players up against amateurs you know, back in the Olympic games, uh, back in 92, for example. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's just, you know, he, you just threw a shark in the water with some goldfish. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that's, I didn't mean to be disrespectful. Forgive me if, if you're one of those shooters that took that the wrong way, but come on, it's Dave. <laughs> yeah. You got one of the top, the greatest shooters ever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a different game. Yeah. So it, uh, I wanted to go actually. And, I did. I emailed Chris Wells and asked him when it is because it wasn't up on the schedule yet. And it, it looks like I'm going to have a USAC qualifier that same weekend. So um, we'll see how my season shakes out. You know, if I feel like I don't need to attend the last USAC qualifier, then. As long I'll, as it's not nationals. It's not. It's, uh, uh, it's in September. It's in if Texas. If it's Texas, that it's might Texas. be a throwaway yeah. anyway. Exactly. So oh, I would I would much rather go shoot 3D in France. And honestly, it's it's an event I've always wanted to shoot. I'm kind of upset. I'm kind of mad that USA Archery scheduled a USAC qualifier over a World Championship event. That goes to show you how much they care about 3D. They don't. Do you care. think USA Archery should even have any involvement there, or shouldn't they just hand that off to you know the IBO or somebody? Uh, no, I think it should be under NFA. USA Archery. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. It's uh, as long as it's a world archery event. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, if we don't need to complicate, <laughs> no. we don't need to complicate it by 
Oh man. Well, I don't there's even rules know. issues too. I mean, you know, they got to follow the world archery rules. Yeah, they got to be under the governing body. It would actually be interesting to see what would happen if, you know, if we took ASA and said, all right, top three guys at the ASA Classic, you know, or top three guys in ASA Shooter of the Year. That's our team for World 3D, and somehow it was funded. I mean, they they would go over there and it would be a bloodbath. It wouldn't it wouldn't even be close. Chuck Cooley's question. Uh, he starts out with a recap of 2017 highlights. I'm pretty sure Chuck probably means 2016. So we just served that up. But let's talk ahead about some 2017 stuff. We've got Neem coming up right around the corner, and Neem is uh, obviously the last stage before the final for the World Cup indoor. Um, you know, basically, this is what we are morphing the World Indoor Championship into: is this indoor World Cup circuit, and Neem is. Steve has said this before, and I'm not going to dispute it. Um, Steve has said that the true World Indoor Championship really is Neem. When you consider who shows up, you consider the level of competition, you consider everything going on, um, you know, if you win Neem, that's tantamount to winning a World Indoor. I, I believe that, and I, I think that it's it's the truth. So th- the interesting thing is that, you know, as, as some of you may know, World Archery is looking at dropping the World Indoor Championship, which is that every two years event and replacing it with the indoor world cup, which is on, on the one hand, you know, for those of us who are traditionalists, a little sad, but on the other hand, I think it's a great opportunity to have a a new world indoor champion every year. So what was the reason for dropping indoor worlds? Lack of profitability? No, I wouldn't call it the lack of profitability. I would say in my experience, and I have a little bit of experience in this area, it's just about as expensive to put on a world indoor as it is to put on a world outdoor. So I look at that as lack of profitability. Okay, or or just how about not uh, even not profitability. It's just it's, it's out of hand. Yeah, it's just the it's it, the expensive the gotten, costs. It's yeah. way expensive. I mean, I don't know how, how much the Turks spent uh, last year to put this on in Ankara and then have virtually nobody come. Well, but they put on a magnificent event, and actually they had a pretty good turnout. They did, but um, you know. Nobody does a tournament like the Turks, by the way, in my opinion. I, they put on a first-class. Every Turkish event I've been to has been a first-class event. They work hard at it. They are really well organized. They do a great job, but they spent a lot of money to put that tournament on. And I think it's just gotten to a point where it doesn't make as much sense because it doesn't get the coverage of an outdoor. It doesn't get the coverage of some of these other events that we have, including the World Cup final now. Mm-hmm. So... I believe that you know it's a it's a maybe a good choice to say all right, we're going to have this circuit event that leads up to a championship final, give a lot more people opportunity in an area that could stand some growth, which is indoor archery, and um, give it a premier event that finishes up in Vegas every year. Hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of part of the issue. I think is you have a world championships and you have a world cup final, and not everybody knows what's going on and who won and. You could ask a bunch of the manufacturers, you know, hey, who won the the indoor world championships last year? And you might get three different answers. You might get the Neem winner. You might, excuse me, four different answers. You might get the the Neem winner, the Vegas winner, the Vegas World Cup final winner, or you might get the actual world championship winner. So, you know, that could have been Braden, Jesse, Sebastian, or Sergio, you know? Okay. So it creates confusion. Um Personally, I think there's. I think the indoor World Cup circuit is is cool, but they need to seriously reconsider the locations and 
uh, well, they already button, are. Yeah, and they need to button these down. And that's I think that's why indoor world championships is going away. You know, look how many people went when it was in Neem. It was huge. Enormous. Yeah. So why not just figure out a way to keep it in one place always? Well, and that think Vegas you know. might be what they're talking about now. Yeah, but I don't look at that as an indoor world championship. Yeah. You know, I, I like the way it is now, um, even though it's hard to make the U.S. team. Um, I still think Neem, Neem is the true uh, showcase of an indoor, a true world indoor tournament. They do put on a heck of a show, too. Yeah, but you just get the actual, com- you know, the com- competition and competitors and, and everything is at the, the highest level. Okay, Chuck's looking for a glimpse into the ATA trade show. Uh, this is a little too I, close to home for you, isn't it, Steve? I hate ATA. <sighs> well, you know, I you know I don't want to create controversy, but I will say that I sometimes wonder about the um, relevance, shall we say, of the trade show in its current configuration. If I could speak to how I really feel, that would be ideal. I think maybe we probably shouldn't, though, yeah. because we're not spokespeople. <laughs> for one thing, we are absolutely not speaking for Easton when we say no, things this about is, the show. Uh, we're talking, this is Steve and me talking, yeah. which means we could seriously get in some trouble if we say the yeah. wrong thing. So we're just we're just going to leave that one alone. No, um, but when I... when I Chuck, if you want to know how we feel about the show, come on up and see us in the booth. When I, when I leave the industry, I'm going to write my tell-all. Yeah. Tell-all. It'll reach, you know, 30 or 40 people on facebook will like an it. awful lot of work but uh, you know what i'm i uh i think how do i put this we try to tr- we really i think make a pretty good effort and i think we've been pretty successful in not making this a big you know bang the east and drum commercial show when we do this podcast yeah but i think there might be some people out there that might enjoy possibly um some 411 on what we've got coming out at the show i mean you know it is the Easton podcast after all so um, yeah, I think it was like this time last year. We maybe maybe it was a little earlier. We talked about the Contour CS stabilizer. Oh yeah, so maybe it's appropriate to talk about another new product that's coming yeah. out. So banging my Easton drum real quick. Yeah, a lot of people want to shoot the Contour CS stabilizer now. I noticed that a lot of people asking me about yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's um, you know I don't think we've done a whole lot of advertising for the thing, but I think that people really like uh, the people who've tried it like it, and uh, I shoot one. You know bunch of recurve shooters shoot them and um they're, they're it's a good stabilizer but uh the, the the news for the show for the purposes of the ata trade show i've got two pieces of news first um we've got a new series of hunting stabilizers that are very affordable but very effective called the buckshot series so for those of you who are dealers listening to the show who are coming to ata stop by the booth and check out the new buckshot series of stabilizers which is a hunting stabilizer with built-in damping Good stuff and very affordable. Um, the thing that Steve and I are interested in, of course, is our new Superdrive 23 Carbon Arrow, which is a very lightweight, very strong, uses the Superdrive 25 construction, very high performance, and comes in three spine values and lots of component options. And I'm kind of excited about our good friend Rod Menzer having uh, the deal to do the uh, Pro Point specifically for this arrow. Yep. So- which we will carry. Superdrive 23, uh, three spine options. 325, 375, and 475. Yep, and then the weights are, it's about 7.4. 7.4 for the 325, 6.9, yeah. call it 7 for the 375, and 6.3 for the 475. So these are 
This is really high, high yeah. performance. So um, the, it's like a, a my complaint with the Fat Boy. I, I had good feedback on the Fat Boy from a shooter like you know Jesse Broadwater. In fact, he said he Robin Hooded so many Fat Boys he felt bad asking for more. <laughs> um, so Sergio my, did really. My well complaint with Fat Boys too. was the weight. Yeah. For, for 3D, I thought a, a little lighter shaft would be great, and the Super Drive has been such a good arrow. That I thought the twenty five, yeah, yeah, the twenty five. I thought a smaller version of that would be the ticket for a yep. lot of people. So we did just that. We took uh, we took your your suggestion and we developed a twenty three size super drive, which meets world archery rules. So it also makes a pretty good indoor, um, world archery compliant, competitive, all carbon arrow, and um, it's available starting later this month. Um, there will be a variety of components for it, including a, um, a resurrection of something we had done back in the 90s. It's a point with a weight system that you can install from the back of the arrow. And uh, so that's available. But also available is the Competition Archery Products Pro Point in the Knockbuster configuration. And we'll have a one-piece bullet point to be very affordable as well. So yep. I think you'll see, you know, we, we kind of, we were a little late to get these in the hands of guys and really get them rolling for indoors if we tried really hard this year we could have gotten them in time for a few top shooters to have them indoors and we just chose not to do that because it was it was you know to the point where i i actually said no you know these guys i want them to have a lot of time if they're going to switch to something because everyone's super comfortable with an x2315 they know how to set it up you know typically we want consumers to be able to have the same thing as anybody else too that too but you know i didn't want these guys rushing to try to get something to work and then not being 100 yeah Yeah. so it's i'd rather have our guys go and shoot an x2315 and win with that yep then be bouncing back and forth between setups and not having one that they're 100 percent so our our, you know our stance on this is we're going to introduce this thing um for the 3d market for the spring session for 3d and then everybody will have plenty of time to get another belt and get comfortable with it for the indoor when that comes around right because with this one with a carbon arrow you know it on an aluminum i can say here's what you should probably shoot length and point weight one of these two or three combinations will work well for you with this arrow i don't know yet you know it'll take a number of guys trying something different providing some feedback talking with each other and then we'll get to that point where it's like, okay, cut it at this length, throw this weight point in it, and it'll probably be great for you. Okay. But, yeah, we're not there yet. Chuck wants to know, what secret word, handshake, wink, nod combo do we tell dealers to use when they meet Der Weltmeisterschaft to get the show special and an autograph? And is he bringing Mrs. Weltmeisterschaft so she can get a really co- so they can get a really cool two and one combo autograph? No misses. Um, I'm going to tell no you. No secret handshake. I'm no, no, behind no, the no, scenes no, all the time. No, 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 no. There is going to be. Here's what we're going to do. No, nope. I'm using my executive authority here at Easton. executive. Close enough. <laughs> I think that word, the, man, the word manager is on my, on my business card, so that's close enough. Here's what we're going to do. First dealer to walk up to Steve Anderson, say the word Weltmeisterschaft right, I can get behind this. and bow will get his choice or her choice of one of the new Easton Buckshot stabilizers. I'm like sure I have a couple extras in the booth. We Fair have enough? a lot of extras, yeah. All right. So the first dealer during the show, during show hours, to go to Steve Anderson, bow and say 
Weltmeisterschaft. No innovations either. No, no, no. It said show. During the show. During the show. You'll get a buckshot stabilizer from Steve. Of your choice. Max one, coyote brown or black. Three different lengths. Just, uh, you know, you just have to say Weltmeisterschaft and you have to pronounce it properly. All right, fine. All right. The rest of the time, I'm going to be behind the scenes. I don't... I, don't. <laughs> I know what you've got planned for the show, so I, I bet you'll yeah, be behind well, the scenes. Straight up, like, it's not a secret, you know. We are going to be doing a cooking demonstration. With wild with, game. Uh, yeah, with game meat, which... Um, well, it's actually not wild. I, I had it flown in this morning from a, from a farm, so... So it's the kind of game that you could get at, a, at exotic restaurants. It's no different than, you know, beef or chicken. In fact, it's probably actually raised and slaughtered a lot more humanely than your run-of-the-mill beef or chicken. Right. But, uh, yeah, we got some deer meat, some venison, and uh, some elk meat. So, okay, I've and, got... Yeah, we're going to be doing some cooking demos uh, yeah. with our hunting celebrity people. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to find myself nosing around the wind and wind booth or something during that time because I yeah. just <laughs> I can't stand wild game all right um oh by the way we have a kind message from Martin Dragon uh saying guys Steve is not a Weltmeister Shaft but a Weltmeister yes because Weltmeister Shaft means world championship and Weltmeister oh. is world champion but uh I noticed that uh in my German to English dictionary, Weltmeisterschaft also means World Cup. So go figure. I don't know. However, I will say this. We don't speak German, and we think Weltmeisterschaft sounds way cooler. See, I like Weltmeister because okay. Meister is cool. Okay. In fact, I want to know if there's a, an Italian version or something where it's Welt or whatever the Italian version of that word is, and then Maestro because I want to be the Maestro. Okay. I would imagine. And I'm going to figure it out. You're Googling? I am. I'm sure everyone is still listening. Well, you're supposed to keep this going <laughs> while I'm Googling, you know. People are super interested in this. Meanwhile, all the Italians are shouting at the uh, at their podcast devices. It's, it's Campion del Mondo. It's Campion del Mondo, which also, you know, pretty sounds, sounds not bad, you know. Well, I want Maestro somehow. You know. I don't know what to tell you. You're Campion del Mundo. Huh. Some of the Mundo Maestro. <laughs> um, speaking of Italians shouting at their screens, have we looked at the podcast statistics recently? I haven't looked at them recently, but they're over 70,000. Wow. Yeah. So go figure. Watch what we say, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. something like that. You're, <laughs> no matter what we say, we're going to make somebody unhappy, so. At a certain point, you're like, all right, what are you supposed to do? Um, let's see here. Oh, yeah, we've got a... Computer just died. No, well, yours did. How long did it last? Um, Before the show started, he said, this is only going to last 18 minutes. It made it about an hour. Yeah, well, in that case, we better wrap it up fairly soon. But um, I've got a couple more questions here before we go. Andy, our friend in Oz. Uh, Hi, chaps. While adjusting a twisted peep side, I've tried several methods. One, twisting or untwisting the string incrementally to turn the peep. Two, moving individual pairs of strands to step the peep around. Three, swearing at it a lot. <laughs> Is there any consensus in the most effective method and or swear word? 
And if you want to keep the podcast explicit tick box unchecked, feel free to act out the most effective swear words. Thanks, Andy. What do you think, Steve? Um, First, you got to get your string settled. Yeah, so... Easy to do. It's summertime in Oz right now. Yeah. My, my thing is give it, you know, five, six shots for every adjustment you make. And then you the stick other it in the thing, car? Uh, yeah, occasionally. But stick not like, when, I'm, when I'm trying. That's more to settle cables. For a couple of minutes? Uh, for you a know. day. Yeah. Get out. I, I left one in my car for seven days straight when it was 105 degrees just to see what would happen. Okay, and we are not. We are officially pulling the Karen Griffin card here, our legal advisor, and not telling people that this is a good idea. No, it's not a good idea because it'll smoke your bearings out. It'll also potentially damage your limbs. Limbs were all fine. Okay, fine. But But, you were shooting a freaking tank, also known as a Hoyt. So go on. Yeah, yeah. So... um, I'm not going to count on that working for everybody's bow. It it, uh, showed some, you know, minimal creep, but I I had a great set of strings on there. So... I left it in there for like seven days and made the adjustments after and shot it the rest of the year. I also left one on a draw board for 24 hours, full draw, and uh, came back, no movement whatsoever. Okay, that so let's, cool. let's presume that Andy has gone through some of these steps of making sure that thing's broken in. Now what? Uh, so, well, my thing is for every adjustment you make to the string, I always do it from the bottom only and that because that'll – you don't want to get it going from the top and bottom because it takes time for that twist to run itself up and down the string. So if you go from one side only, you're better off. And for every, you know, if you put a half twist in trying to straighten it out, give it a few shots before you make another adjustment. Now, if he's talking as he draws it back, it turns, there's a good chance that something there is served the wrong way. If you serve an end serving the wrong direction, uh, it'll spin the peep like crazy. As it comes out, as it pays out from the cam? Yep. That's interesting. Yep. Okay, that's good to know. Good uh, good thing to watch out for. But yeah, if you got one that just sits a little cockeyed all the time, and if you turn it, it turns it too far. Uh, another thing I've done is throw a little speed button, G5 makes them, in the bottom of the string. I did that for one bow. And uh, yeah, put that in the bottom, it... You can move it up and down and turn your peep. We're getting Jay to bring the, um, you know, the lavalier mics and the uh, recording equipment to the ATA show. So if we have time, no promises. No, nope. I don't. Um, we may sit down with a couple <laughs> of shooters and uh, possibly do a couple interviews that we'll then use for the next podcast event, or we'll do one from the show, depending on how, on how time works out. Yeah. Because Brady will be there, and a few other folks will be there. So yeah, be good a- to catch up with some of those people. ATA is crazy. It is for you. It's uh, it it has been for me. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'm looking forward to going. But uh, I got snowed out two years ago last time, yeah. and then I, you know, as you may recall, I couldn't walk last year. So last year I had to organize a dunk tank. I heard, and we shot it. You know, rather than throwing baseballs at the thing that triggers the tank, we shot it with archery tag arrows. I had to have all this approved by ATA and, you know, their version of Karen Griffin. You've had to go through a whole bunch of hoops to do this cooking thing you're going to do, too. Yeah, this is, what, this is my job. So if anyone's trying to get a hold of me the last three months, sorry. Yeah. ATA happened. Well, yeah, there you go. So, And, and by the way, Neem, if, uh, if any of our listeners are planning to come to Neem, we've got some 
pretty cool posters that we're going to have there. Yeah, Neem will be awesome. Um, very cool posters. Hoping to have John Charles Veladon poster. Yeah, some of the Olympians there to be able to sign them. Yep. Um, and we'll be doing some giveaways and other things there in the booth. One thing that I'd like to mention is that uh, we really appreciate those of you taking the time to rate the show on iTunes, and uh, that helps other people find the show. So whether you like it or not, uh, we sure would appreciate hearing from you on uh, on your iTunes um, ratings and reviews. Uh, please do rate the show, and uh, that helps other people find it. We have uh, a couple of ways for you to reach us if you have questions or you have comments about the show. First off, we have an email address, which is podcast at eastontp.com. And we're on Facebook at? What is our Facebook now? It's Easton, Easton, Target, Easton Target Archery. Archery. Yeah. On Facebook. And you can, uh, you can post up anytime you like on Easton Target Archery. Or you can email us at uh, podcast at eastontp.com. And Steve, your Instagram? Uh, Steve Anderson 88. It's pretty inactive. Okay. <laughs> You're active on Facebook, Sam. I just saw you dropped a, a video here recently. Did I? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. I think that's an old video that goes around about every Oh, I see. That's what that's what the yeah. Mikhail Vasilidis wants to know uh, any news. So I think he's Oh, he showed the the Knockfit video. Yeah, the Knockfit yep. video. Yep, so, yep, yep. Uh, you got some good advice there. Oh, it's from a year ago. I didn't realize. I, I only saw December 29th. I didn't realize it was 20, December 29th of 2015. Yeah. All so. Right. so you got some work to do after ATA. Maybe. Yep. I'm going to start a, a blog, actually. Oh, really? Yep. Uh, two forms. One is going to be um, more technical, and the other is going to be more uh, – and I don't know exactly where that's going to be, where that's going to live yet, so – well, once you get that sorted out, we'll make an announcement here on the show. Yeah. Or on your um, Facebook or both. Yeah. Then the other one's going to be kind of more of a, a video blog, short videos, um, stuff stuff I do in, in my life in archery. So as we get ready to wrap up, um, silly season. That's what they call it in MotoGP when the riders are negotiating for their new contracts. And I, I've taken to calling it that for similar reasons when it comes to shooters who are shopping around or negotiating uh, new deals with companies that may or may not be the same as what they've been shooting. We've seen a number of people move around. I think the big news, um, obviously, is that Levi Morgan... Now, I say obviously. For those of you outside the United States, you're like, who? Yeah. Yeah. But he's... But he's huge, huge for, for huge. hunting. He's huge for hunting. And 3D. And 3D. And, um, I, I think most people outside the U S know of him. I think you they're know, getting to know him. He's, yeah. And he, you know, he's quite a, uh, his one tournament outside the U S he finished third. So it was a big deal when he went from Matthews who he'd been with Matthews forever and then switched to elite, which is where Rio wild went. And now he's back with Matthews. Yeah. So that's, that's that news. And then, uh, some other folks, Matthews apparently, um, had a few people leave, leave the ship. Um, a number of folks. Oh, I think they chose to. You got a clear space. You got a clear budget. So I didn't know if you wanted to go there or not. But yeah, yeah I guess straight up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you've you're bringing only got in, so much to spend, and you're if bringing you're bringing in, in for, Levi and Jesse, you know, sorry, all you guys who got two bows a year, but we got to save that cash now. Yeah, and Jesse going from Hoyt to Matthews 
very classy way that he did it, I think. Yeah. You know, Jesse's a class act, and uh, thank goodness he still shoots East and Arrows. <laughs> so, um, you know, and then we've got uh, our buddy Jake Kaminsky making noises about maybe changing up. Yeah, Blurgate. Yeah, I've I never heard that. that being called. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of gave it away, though, because he put up a picture, and you can see the site, and you can see the plunger, and you can pretty well tell what bow he's shooting. So uh, that'll, I think that's an announcement he's planning for next week. Here's my, my take on this. Um, a lot of folks in the very top level of the sport um, have a no compromise on performance uh, standard. And some folks have a, I will shop for the best deal I can get standard. The ones who are more dependent on how much money they can make uh, have a tendency to shop around for the best deal. Uh, those who are financially independent, relatively speaking, are the ones who tend to go for what they feel is working the best for them. And it's going to be a mix. It's not the same formula for every shooter. So for those of you saying that uh, Shooter X has gone to brand Y because of money, maybe, but maybe not. You know, it may be that they prefer the way something performs or they prefer, you know, the working relationship they have with a particular company. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Um, and you are right. I mean, we, you know, a little inside info on us. I get a lot of people who say, I, I really wish I could shoot East and Arrows. But, you know, so-and-so's made me such a great deal, and and maybe maybe I can't match that deal, you know? Yeah, so and, you they know, go, I just can't do it. I would love to, but sorry. And I'll be bluntly honest. We do not pay shooters very much at all, if, if at all. I mean, we, we provide some shooters with some product. But, you know, a lot of folks out there think, oh, yeah, Easton hands out arrows to everybody. Not It couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, and – and I see that rampantly, people thinking that everybody who shoots on the World Cup or at the Olympics gets our arrows for oh my, free. That's the, that's the yeah. last place. If you want to see people who don't get arrows for free, go to the Olympic Games. Uh, unless you're in the top, I'd say 15, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's, 10. It's not even, yeah, and I don't even know how to put a number on it. And but. more than half of the people in the top 10. I'll give you an example. I, I, none of the Koreans get arrows for free from Easton. The Federation from Korea buys them. Right. Right? So, I mean, you know, and, and Japan buys them, and India buys them, you know. And so um, that's kind of a false, Yeah. what do you call it, a fallacy, right? Yeah, and it's... People just don't know that, though. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, we have a, we have a pro staff, and everybody does, and there are people who get product for free. Yep. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah. A few. And uh and it's a short list and you know who those yes. people are generally. And I think Braden Galantine probably hasn't had to pay for his arrows in a while. <laughs> Steve but, Anderson probably hasn't paid to, paid for arrows in about three years. Yeah. The the misconception is that anybody and everybody at a certain level is getting their stuff for free. And and there might be a lot of people with, you know, a Hoyt jersey on or a Matthews jersey on. That doesn't mean Hoyt gave him a bow, you know. They they might be on a shop shooter program or something like that. There, there's the industry is weird, and I've I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It's kind of you know you look at a other sports, and nobody's handing out uh, product whatsoever. You know, like I was comparing shotgun shooting, and I'm pretty sure you know a company like Beretta is 
probably at least 10 times the size of most archery companies. Sure. And I think they're probably giving out, you know, guns, you know, shotguns to maybe 10 people, maybe. Worldwide. Yeah. You know, similarly, um, yeah, just my personal experience, I, I used to shoot a lot of action pistol, and I had a pro deal, you know, mm-hmm. a pro staff deal with a particular firearms manufacturer, which gave me the privilege of spending $1,600 for a particular firearm instead of, say, 2000 or $2,500. Right, yeah, it's a small discount, and I think that's what a lot of... Actually, it was a pretty good discount, but still, you know, I mean... Yeah, but that's pay. what a lot of stuff in archery is. It's The misconception is that people get paid and people you know, get all this stuff for free, but it's really not what right. it may seem. So I, I bring it up because right now it's kind of a buzzy thing for some people to talk about. You know, um, some of you out there are going, what are they talking about? You don't, they don't know who these people are or care. But for some of you out there that have been watching this stuff and, and kind of pay attention to it as if these people are celebrities or something, just keep in mind the fact that there's maybe worldwide 10 people uh, shooting a compound bow who can make a living doing it. Not that many. Okay. <laughs> Some of them might right, be subsidized. Maybe 10, yeah, One maybe or two 10. might be subsidized by their government. Yeah. Right? I mean, a couple of the Italian shooters are paid to shoot, you know, even though they're in the Air Force or whatever. Right. Right? So that's what I'm counting some of those. Yeah. Okay? The people who are making a living shooting a bow aren't just shooting a bow. You know, a mm-hmm. um, guy like Levi's got a big TV show. You know, he's doing a big hunting TV show. Yeah. And he's got some other business stuff that he's doing. Yeah, they're all... You know, nobody's making a living, for the most part, just shooting a bow. Even, it, yeah, even, it all turns into some other type of you know, side business, whether it's yeah. within the industry or... Closest one I can whatever. think of is a guy like Rio. He's yeah, maybe the closest one I can think of at the moment. Rio, Jesse. Jesse, yeah. yeah. Rio and Jesse and maybe a couple others, mm-hmm. maybe two or three others. Yeah, it's a, it's a small number, and... So, yeah, when I see guys moving and shifting and, you know, they, I could, I could say who is really doing it for various reasons. I could say who's doing it for. Yeah, we know, we know yeah. what the reasons are. Yeah. Uh, and and by the way, it is, it's, it's is, mostly money. Yeah, it's money. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Straight up. I yeah. mean, there are situations where, you know, I see a guy like Jesse and he, he admitted, he's like, I was kind of burnt out on archery. He's like, I needed something different. Yeah. And, I could have told you that, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah, but we um, all saw that. Yeah, and he showed up at World Field. Yeah, and I wouldn't say Jesse's on that list of people that are doing it for the money. He's doing it because he loves the sport and he wanted to try to find a new challenge to, you know, reinvigorate his his spark. Yeah. Honestly, I think he yes he needed to uh, change it up and. But he's on a list of about one about people. Again. He's on a list of about one people that that is that type of person. I, I can't yeah. think of too many others. And I'm sure I'm paying short shrift to somebody, so forgive me if I am. I don't know, but for it's, the most part, eh. yeah, it's interesting. My my advice, uh, you know, go with the companies who consistently build quality products and try to see through fluff. It shouldn't be too hard to recognize. And I'll say something else: if if you're one of those up and coming shooters that really aspires to be on that level, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> just that just that yeah be careful what you wish for yeah because nobody gets paid just to play no, no one no so and it's know. you know i think that's part of why i want to do like a, a video blog type thing people always say oh man that must be so fun and i'm like yeah it's it's cool and i i'll never take for granted you know what i get to do 
but it's a grind. There's Can no be. doubt about it. I Can mean, be. you go you go shoot twenty plus events in a year, and next thing you know, you're you're on a plane to wherever, and you're looking. You're saying, all right, what day do I get home, and at what time? You know that type of thing. Yeah, so, you know, you're a guy like Rio or Jesse, and you want to get home to see your kids, and yeah. you know your your livelihood depends on your performance. Yeah, and I I mean I don't have kids, I don't. Uh, have to worry about that you know i specifically bought a a townhouse so that i wouldn't have to have a yard to take care of yeah, and thank goodness you married another top archer yeah. so she understands at least right yeah so yeah be careful what you wish for i mean if uh if you think it's for money you're playing the wrong game yeah <laughs> you know again except for a very very small number of people for sure go to school <laughs> you know do not do not put school off to shoot archery yeah and, and you know, that's something that uh, I did. You know, I thought, hey, this is – I'm going to make the U.S. team cool. You know, I'll uh, take a semester off. Well, you know, next thing you know, you're on the team for four years. Yeah, you know? it's hard it's to like, do. Okay, well – Jay Barr's had the same story, you know. He, yeah. He went back and finished his business degree at ASU and is, yeah. you know, making a great living as a, as a, as a rep for pharmaceutical companies. But – you know, that's, that's hard to do to go back to school. So make sure you get your priorities straight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to do an MBA and I'm like, well, when, you know, how am I going to make that happen? Well, you can do it the same way that, uh, Greg did, you know, fly back to UCLA every weekend and, yeah. <laughs> you know, make that happen. I don't know. Harry Potter didn't finish school. He turned out all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if I recommend that. I, I recommend <laughs> finishing school. I recommend putting archery in its place and, uh, and don't don't look at a guy like Levi and go, oh, I want to be like that because I guarantee you he doesn't enjoy his archery as much as a lot of Wednesday night <laughs> leaguers might. We really got off in the weeds. Yeah, yeah, but that's you know that's our job, sorta, kinda. Anyway, once again, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you hated the podcast, or you're indifferent about the podcast, please leave us a review at uh, on iTunes, and um, you can email us at podcast at eastntp.com. Do you think anyone ever leaves a two star review? Not so far. I think it's only one, three, four, or five in all, in everything. I don't think anyone has ever left a two-star review in their life. Because you either hate something, or you like it, or you're kind of mediocre about it. Yeah. Two doesn't fit mediocre. No. There's a, it's a one because it sucked. Right. It's a three One's because a it was mediocre. Four yeah. because it's pretty good but could have been better. And right. five is outstanding. There you go. I bet you could look at every product on Amazon and not find one single two-star review. Not I'll one. Right. I'll bet you're right. For the most part, I'll bet you're correct. Anyway, <laughs> I think that that just about puts the finishing touch on this episode, which I think might be something like 42, but thank goodness for our editor, Jay, who knows the definitive answers to how many of these podcasts we've done. For myself, George Tekmachov, and Steve the... Welt Maestro. Okay. Anderson. Is that kind of a German, you, you, you just went, you just kind of went, let's say over the Stelvio Pass from Switzerland to Italy. Kind of. All right, I'll just go by the maestro. I think it's time for. End of show. End of show. It was there 15 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs>